Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Hello, hello, good morning. I just feel like I should speak like Brian Blessed when I've got this mic on. Just beard on. (laughs) Or with the beard on, yeah, thanks, John. Um, I'm going to pray before we start, if that's all right today. Because we're in a series uh, called The Heart, uh, looking at all things to do with the heart. And so before we start looking at what God says in the Bible, let's just prepare our hearts. Lord, I pray that you will prepare us for what you want to say to us today. Uh, Lord, we want to take this moment and put down any barriers, any, any walls that we've built up, any guards around our heart, and we want to be a little bit vulnerable with you this morning. And so we pray that as we do that, that you will treat our hearts carefully, that you'll treat them with respect. And... Um, Lord, we pray that you will, you will change them. Lord, I pray that as I speak, you give me the right words. And as we listen to you, you'll give us the right ears. Amen. Great. So I moved to Manchester about, be about seven years ago now. Um, best decision, apart from many other decisions, including my wife. So I backtrack very quickly. But one of the first things that happened when I arrived to Manchester, somebody told me a story about some bamboo. And there's this legend that, that there's a type of bamboo where you plant the seeds and you water them, and for about six years, nothing happens. You don't see a thing. Apparently, all the energy is being directed downwards, underneath the soil, beneath the surface. And then after about six years, Almost overnight, that bamboo will shoot to life, and they say that it grows 90 feet in about three days. The idea is that you could literally walk through the forest and watch it growing all around you. Incredible. Now, I think that there's people who are a lot like that bamboo, who suddenly there's an opportunity, and that person just bursts to life. It's like they're suddenly there right in front of you, taking advantage of it. One minute they're not, the next they're doing incredible things. And in the Bible, there's a story of a man called David, and David is exactly like this bamboo. No one saw David coming. One minute he is a shepherd and he's caring for sheep. The next minute he is the champion of his nation. One minute, he's the sandwich delivery boy. The next minute, he's there, eye to eye, toe to toe, face to face with Goliath, this beast of a man. He's representing his entire country in armed combat. Like, where did that come from? And we know how the story ends, right? We all know that story. David uses a slingshot and he he fires a stone and he defeats Goliath. And what we do is we read that story and we we look for meaning and and we say things to each other about that, like, who is the Goliath in your life? Who's the giant in your way? Or maybe we'd say something encouraging like, God will put giants in your path to promote you. 
or we'll give somebody advice like never bring a sword to a slingshot fight. Like whatever the advice is that we give people, we find meaning. But here's the problem, and I think we do this all the time. We focus on the victory, but we don't track back to the seed that was planted right in the beginning that made it all possible. We don't go to the start. We want the quick fix, and we don't ask the questions. So think about it. Who is that in your life? I think that all of us have people that we look at and we think, oh, I wish I had their ministry. I wish I had faith like that person. I wish I could see healing like, like the way that God uses that person. I wish I could be a leader like that, that person there. And, and we look at people and we do that. And what we do is we pray for that fast track. We pray and we say, Lord, give me that gift now. And what we don't do is we don't see the seeds that were planted early in their story, which have then suddenly burst out of the ground and led to that fruit being seen. Does this make sense? So we're going to look at David's story because David is an amazing character. He, for me, he is the most important character outside the Trinity in the entire Old Testament. Just absolutely phenomenal, guys. So we're going to turn to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. And as you find that in your Bible, I want to give you a little bit of backstory to what's happening here. So there was this genuinely awkward conversation between Israel and God. And, and Israel are like, God, we're free now. Look at everyone else. We want a king. And God's like, a king is a bad idea. Don't get a king. And Israel are like, oh, but we really, really want a king. Uh, and God's like, no, it's a bad idea. He says, if you have a king, then the king will make it all about him because that's what kings do. He'll make it all about himself. You'll end up following the king and you won't follow me. Uh, and Israel said, nah, and please, and other compelling arguments. And so God said, fine, I'll give you a king. And he gives them the king that they wanted. This king is, like, he stands out in his generation. He's handsome. He has a full beard, amazing bun, like any true leader would. Yeah. <laughs> and what happens is he makes it all about himself. And the nation starts following the king rather than following God. And God says, there's a problem here, and I need to fix it. And that's where the story begins. God says, we need a new king. We need a better king, perhaps a less obvious king. So he sends his prophet, this man called Samuel, and he says, go to the house of Jesse, and there you will find the next king. I'm going to skip straight to verse 6 if you're following with me in your Bible. If not, it's on the screen behind me. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. I love it. He wasn't even in the picture. He wasn't important enough 
to be in the room. So Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So what was it about this son? What was it about Jesse's youngest son that God would choose to use him to establish a kingdom that's been around for 3,000 years? What was it that as God was scanning this boy's life that he saw, was it his fine appearance, as it says in verse 12? Was it how many Facebook likes he had on his profile? How many friends he had? Was it his charismatic personality that was going to do well in politics? Was it the fact that he was a musician and he was grade eight at loot? Was that why he was chosen? Was it because he was a poet and he's written poems that we still wonder about to this day? The Bible gives us the answer. It says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Some of you will be relieved by this <laughs> because God doesn't look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. But there'll be some of us here as well who should be concerned because God will overlook cleverness, competence, creativity and charisma and he will choose character every time. I'll say that again, God will overlook your cleverness, your competence, your creativity and your charisma and he will choose somebody with character. So how is your heart? That's the question we're asking. How is your heart? I'm not saying don't be successful. We need successful people. It's good to be good at stuff. It's great to be an athlete or a musician or an artist or a master of business or an entrepreneur, whatever it is, whatever gifts God has given you. But the thing is, our government, despite being full of models, movie stars, and masters of industry, is a mess. Everywhere we look, there's problems. And these Goliaths do seem insurmountable. And here's the thing, when you focus on exteriors, giants will always be bigger than you. So how is your heart today. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, because Jesus has this exact same conversation a thousand years later with a group of Pharisees. The word Pharisee literally means separated and pure. These guys kept themselves away from everything that was unclean. And um, Jesus, well, they great Jesus. He's, he's always clashing with these guys. So if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, and we're going to start right at the beginning, verse 1. It says this, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, if you're a parent, you're probably right now thinking, I'm on their side. <laughs> yeah? Normally, I would be on the side of the people who say you should wash your hands before you eat. That sounds logical, but these guys were taking it to a whole new level. They weren't meaning it in the same way that we meant it. They had these rituals. They had these systems. You had to wash everything a certain way. And they believed that cleanliness wasn't just next to godliness, but cleanliness led to godliness. That the way you washed yourself said something about the state of your spirit. And so you cleaned your hands to clean your hearts. 
Jesus replies to them in verse 3, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, then they're not to honour their mother or father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So picture this. The Pharisees are standing there like those first seven brothers. They're clean, they're intelligent, they're clever, they're educated, they're everything that everybody in that day and age would have wanted to be. But there was a problem. The problem was God could see their hearts. They developed this this saying, and the saying went like this. It said, a gift devoted to God, you don't have to give to somebody else. And so what would happen is a friend or a neighbor would be in a lot of need and they'd say, help us. And they'd be like, oh, I've dedicated this stuff to God. You can't have it. And what they were actually doing is they were revealing something about themselves. First, they were revealing that their hearts weren't actually oriented towards helping their parents and that they were breaking the commandments already, that they didn't want to be kind to other people. The second thing was that they were showing that that they believed that appearing to do God's will was as good as doing God's will. That it was enough to look like you were doing it right. At church, in worship, at home with your family, in work, never mistake duty for devotion. Jesus was like, where is your passion? He saw right through them. So verse seven, he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he was prophesying about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are merely human rules. And the Lord droppeth the mic and walketh away. This is about as close to a slam battle as you're going to find in the, in the Bible. Jesus literally disses them with Old Testament prophecy. He's like, what's going on with you? He then calls the crowd and he says, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of the mouth, that is what defiles them. It's not what's on your lips, but in your hearts what makes you unclean. Is God near to you? Is God in your heart or is he not? I love, I absolutely love this next verse. The disciples go up to him and they're like, Jesus, you offended those guys. And Jesus is just like, yeah, let them be offended. Like He's not trying to be offensive, he's trying to be provocative. But sometimes you can't help if somebody has a heart to be offended. He wants to shake something up in them. He wants something to burst into life within them. And he's frustrated. Do you know people like them? Are you people like them? Are you more about the duty than the devotion? Jesus then goes on and he lists all the evils that can come out of your heart. He says sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, and malice. Malice is like evil scheming. It's thinking the worst things about other people. And he follows it up with more attitudes. He says deceit, lewdness, what we'd call sensuality, 
Envy, envy literally means not just wanting something that somebody else has. It's taking something that you have and not using it for the benefit of the community. It's this idea that what God's given you is for everybody. So envy isn't just wanting something for yourself, it's keeping something for yourself. He says envy, being stingy. He says slander. He says gossip, being aggressive or being foolishness. And foolishness in this context isn't about IQ, it's about heart towards God. Jesus is really saying, all these things that you see in the world that are messy, all these things that you're worried about for your kids, all the stuff you see on the news, all the evil, all the darkness, all the brokenness, all the pain, that's not external stuff. Every bit of that starts in the human heart. The human heart is the source of everything that we're seeing going wrong. And so he turns around to them and he gives, he gives the Pharisees a test of their own. And he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's the heart test. That's how you know you're, how you're doing in your heart. How are you doing in your heart? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? Do you love other people in the way that you love yourselves? So David calls, sorry, God calls David a man after his own heart. And, and I think the reason could be because he prayed this prayer that we find in Psalm 139, verse 24. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. See if there's any offensive thing in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, look into me. Test me. And show me if there's anything that's not right because I want to follow you. I want to have the right heart. Now, obviously, me saying to you, how's your heart, is a huge question. I want to spend the next 10 minutes just focusing that question in a little bit more. And I want, to, I want to provoke with some questions. I'm not intending to offend, but I'm not going to be upset if you get offended. Because hearts are sensitive. And so let God speak to you. Take what you want. But don't let yourself go unchallenged. So my first question is, how is your heart when you have to wait? Or how is your heart when God says no to you? I remember moving to Manchester and um, I moved because God had really clearly said to me to come and plant a church. And I arrived in Manchester and do you know what the first thing he said to me? He said, no. He said, wait. And I was like, how dare you? Who do you think you are speaking to me that way? I was, I was mad. I was genuinely mad. I was so angry at God. I said, like, why did you bring me to Manchester if I'm not to do what you told me to do? I was like, give me a better word. Tell me to be bold, be brave, do something courageous, but don't tell me to wait. Don't tell me no. I don't like being told no. How are you when people tell you no? What does that no bring out of your heart? What does God reveal in you when you get a wait? So I think you can choose to be angry and you can choose to be bitter. Or you can choose to grow. You can choose to use that time to plant deep, to plant deep roots 
You can spend time serving diligently in church. You can pray. You can read the Bible. You can equip yourself. You can look at that and you can have a good heart or you can have a bad heart. How's your heart when God says wait? I believe that God raises up people who are adept at following his timing and not making him follow theirs. Question number two, how's your heart when you're asked to serve? <laughs> Love this kid. David's first step, having been anointed as king, is to serve the existing king. The man whose job he wants, he now has to serve. That, that would have grated. That must have been hard, right? How would you have done when you're asked to serve? What's amazing, the Bible describes David as the greatest king Israel had ever had. He's the one who started as a servant. And he served with the same passion, the same diligence, and the same commitment as he gave when he was the king. He had a servant's heart. He wasn't too proud. He wasn't too big. He didn't even serve necessarily in the things that he was skilled at. He served in the things that he was called to. Now, if you're visiting today, I'm not going to talk to you for a couple of minutes, so I apologize. If you've got your phone, you can turn to 95.8 and there's a radio station. Do what you like. I don't, I don't mind, but I want to talk to people who consider this their church who have been around more than a month or so. And I want to ask you today, if you've been with us for a little while and you're not trying to work out how and where you're going to be serving, how is your heart within that? How is your heart doing with serving? And I, I know, I understand that we're in a cinema, right? And when I sit on those seats, I just want to sit in those seats. And I, I love my flat white that is bankrupting me every Sunday. <laughs> and it's easy to be comfy. But how's your heart with that? Do you know today we didn't have uh, kids go out for one of the ages which I completely muddled up with John earlier. And on the one hand, that doesn't matter because we don't have to do kids' work. It's not about kids' work. But what it does is it reveals something in us, doesn't it? It reveals something about our hearts that, that we're more... How are our hearts that we don't want to invest in the next generation because we want to sit in here? How are we okay with that? And it's okay because what happens when we talk about stuff like this is there's a few of us who get really passionate and they're like, I'm not going to be that person. I'll serve on 17s. And then the majority of us are like, great, I've got away with it. And it's not even a, like, you have to. I'm not saying like, this is some, I don't want to go back to the Pharisees. You know, I don't want us to mistake duty for devotion. I want you to ask for yourself, how is my heart when it comes to serving? See, Saul wouldn't serve. For Saul, it was all about him. Whereas David would serve everywhere he went. He was always looking out for other people. Galatians 5.13, it says, it says, now that you have freedom, now that you have freedom, don't use it for yourself. 
but use it for other people by serving one another in love. I think we misunderstand sometimes significance. Significance doesn't come from sex or salary. It doesn't come from another S that I've forgotten. <laughs> Status. The Bible teaches us that we find who we are in serving. That serving does something important for our hearts. So I want to ask you, how is your heart when you're asked to serve? Question three. How is your heart when you're wronged? How is your heart when somebody does something bad to you and you're totally innocent? David was, by all accounts, this incredible guy. He's just trying to be faithful. He's just trying to love other people. His heart is for God and to serve others. And Saul is intimidated and Saul is threatened. And Saul wants to get him. And he literally gets to this point where he's having spears thrown at him and then he's running around and he's being chased down like a dog. And David is completely innocent. How's your heart when people misunderstand you? When people say things about you when you're not there? When people do something intentionally or unintentionally to hurt you, how is your heart? Because you can start well. And you can be attacked and you can be hurt and you can still be in a good place inside. But your next decisions will affect whether you stay there. Are you an assassin? I remember as a kid in school, this boy, Johnny Winter, we were in the rugby team and we went down into uh, the ruck and he decided with his studs he was just going to start kicking us because he was just that kid who thought it was funny. So we had all of these stud marks and bruises and um, we did nothing. We waited. Me and my friend Philip, we waited and we were like, we will get back. <laughs> he won't know when it's coming, but one day. And then about a week later, we're coming in from PE and we run in the fastest, get into the change rooms, find his shoes and his clothes, throw them in the toilet, and then we wee all over all this stuff. <laughs> yeah? And then we go to the end of the change room, we look out the window, and we see the class walking past. So we jump out the window and go and walk in with the teacher. So we're the last ones in. It was genius. We were assassins. <laughs> And then it's like, oh, what happened here? And we were like, oh, look at this chaos. <laughs> Are you like that? I mean, it seems funny, right? It seems really funny. Uh, but actually what happened next, the next day we had an assembly and the headmaster said, no one leaves until we find out who's responsible. And then he started looking at us and he was like, you two can leave. You two can leave. And he's narrowing it down. If you're in year group seven, you can leave. And then it's just my group. And I was like, oh no, we're dead. And then he looked and I gave him my most innocent, nice smile. And he was like, Ben, of course you can leave. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but then there was this other kid, the kid who, if I'm honest, had the hardest time at school, who lost his lunch times for three weeks because they thought it was him. My heart wasn't so good with that. Because it might seem funny, but somebody always suffers when you take it upon yourself to be an assassin. 
Are you an assassin when people wrong you? Or are you like, are you like Saul, are you a T-Rex? Are you the one where people don't even want to come to you with stuff because they're terrified? You're just going to bite them in half? Are you that person, the preemptive strike? I'll get them before they can get me. You see, we start innocent, but the way that we react will show everything about what's really in our hearts. So how are you when you're hurt? Nobody can steal your destiny. They can't ruin what God's plan is for your life. But you can choose to throw it away by what goes on in your heart. I'd like um, the band to come up, please. I'd like to take a moment um, for us all to just close our eyes. And I want you to be real with yourself and real with God. And I want you to ask yourself, how, how is my heart right now? And maybe just give God some permission and say, Lord, that prayer that David prayed, show me anything in my heart that's not right. Whatever that thing is. Because I don't want my heart to be a seedbed for weeds. Lord, I want you to plant those seeds in me that are going to burst into life and bring the greatest fruit. Love, joy, patience, righteousness, self-control. Lord, plant those seeds and show me anything in me which is going to strangle those. I just want to give you a minute and give you some time with God. The Bible tells us that David was the greatest king Israel had had because his heart was the same as the Lord's. But his whole story 
points forwards to an even greater king still. David, in his story, he defeated a giant, a giant called Goliath. Whereas there's another king that's to come later in the story who would defeat an enemy that would never need to be defeated again. David was a great king because he was a servant first and a king second. But there'd be a greater king coming who created the universe but would serve that creation. The greatest servant we've known. As a king, David was accused of stuff he was innocent of and pursued. And the greater king coming was completely innocent. And he was accused of stuff and he died. And he died for you and he died for me. And he rose from the dead after three days. And he did that for you and he did that for me. And he did that so that our hearts don't have to stay like that. So that we don't have to accept broken hearts. We don't have to accept the weeds that surround them. They don't have to be our reality. But he died so that we could have a new heart and a new start. Now I wonder if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus, whether today is a day for you to meet him. Whether today is a day to say, God, I need that new heart. I need you. And if you want to pray that prayer, it might be for the first time ever. It might be that you've, you've been distant for a long time. I just want you to raise your hand with me while everyone's got their eyes closed and heads bowed. Just raise your hand with me right now. Thank you. Anybody else want to pray that prayer and ask for that new heart? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, take my heart. I give it to you. I entrust it to you. And Lord, I accept your new heart, your clean heart. Lord, I give my life to you and I trust you. I follow you. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.